welcome to the Holistic Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Morgan. Welcome to the Holistic Medicine Podcast and welcome to Clarissa Lenhair, who is a nutritionist um, and who is usually based in London, where I met her uh, a couple of years ago when we first started working together on uh, educational events, um, talking about gut health and nutrition. Um, and um, Clarissa is uh, definitely one of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to gut health um, and nutrition. And the topic of the day is a really exciting one, uh, I would say, which is um, gut health and mood and how that is connected. So, but welcome to the podcast, Clarissa. Uh, where are you now? Thank you, Julian. Thank you for your lovely words. I'm super excited to be joining you. And um you know, even happier that you asked me to talk about food and mood because it's something that I'm particularly passionate about. And at the moment, I'm in London. So I do live in London, although one of my other hobbies, apart from nutrition and gut health, which are my major passions, I do love to travel. And unfortunately, obviously, travel has been um, limited at the moment. But um, at the moment, I am staying with my husband's parents' home because they have gone away and I'm lucky enough that they live very close to Hampstead Heath. So it means that I get to go and have some lovely walks in nature, which is something that I particularly love doing for my mood and mental health. So I'm very sort of thrilled and I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for, for being here today. And um, that sounds really lovely. Um, nature is definitely one of the things that can help with our mental health, uh, which has been shown in many studies by now. So um, that's really wonderful. Um, but before we really get started on today's topic, which is uh, food, gut health and mood, um, I would love to hear what kind of work you do as a nutritionist, um, how you help people and who would be a typical um, client for you. Great. So I am a nutritionist based in London. I trained in nutritional therapy, so I'm a registered nutritionist trained in nutritional therapy. And I particularly specialize in my private clinical practice with digestive health. It was what I always knew I wanted to enter the nutrition world doing. And so it was the first thing I made sure I specialized in with clients. And from that, my practice has sort of evolved into now I you know, I love seeing people and helping people with digestive dysfunction or symptoms, things like that. But actually, it's I now take on clients with autoimmune concerns. And the reason being is that a lot of autoimmune conditions are either sort of triggered or mediated by changes in gut health. So there's a lot that we could do with just the gut alone. And I've recently finished extra an extra accreditation in prenatal and postnatal nutrition. And quite interestingly, there's some very, um, very cool, uh, in my words, because I'm a geek about gut health, stuff that happens in the digestive system that really contributes to uh, sex hormones, in particular with estrogen. And there's actually a lot to do with looking after your gut health and making sure that you um, have hormone balance, which can contribute to polycystic ovarian syndrome and fertility and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, my practice has definitely evolved. It started as um, gut health and has sort of changed, which I love. And, you know, as hypocrites 
Siegfried said, all disease begins in the gut. So I think I'm positioned in a quite good place. That sounds really exciting, Clarissa. Uh, uh, I'm already thinking that we probably have to do a second um, podcast talking about uh, gut health and uh, hormone balance, but let's leave that for now. Uh, let's first talk about um, how uh, how gut health and mood might be connected. But um, but just to kick this uh, topic off, I would love to talk about um, the nervous system in the gut. Uh, what does it mean that we have a whole nervous system in the gut, and how does it work? Yeah, so there's there's been quite a lot of information and headlines and interesting, you know, sort of scientific literature coming out over the past sort of decade on this thing that people are now coining the second brain that lives in the gut. Um, it's actually in the sort of scientific communities referred to as the enteric nervous system, so that otherwise um, abbreviated to ENS. And that essentially, and it's quite a fairly new development that they found it's not something that we've known about for a long long time but the reason that they've said that we have this nervous system that lives in our digestive system is that we have so many nerve endings and nerve cells that live in the gut that reside in the digestive system right from the esophagus to the rectum there are actually over 100 million 100 million nervous cells that live there so um it's a huge hub of excitatory information and it has the ability to really impact everything from our stress levels, our emotions, our mood, uh, which are things we're going to talk about today, plus all the other things that the gut is involved with, of which I'll take up far too much time going into it. But um, what happens in this ENS, in this enteric nervous system that's in the gut, is that It really governs a lot of the mechanisms that happen in the digestive system. So it contributes to how we swallow. So the mechanism that happens from swallowing and gut motability. So that the way that the digestive system actually moves to help push things through. It helps us secrete digestive enzymes, which help us break down a lot of our food. And from that, you know, helps us then break down food further and absorb nutrients, which we need for many reasons, including mood, which I'll talk about later. Um, Also blood flow, but most interestingly today, it plays a really important role in sending messages from the digestive system to the brain. And that's where we get a lot of um, really interesting stuff coming about, about the digestive system and its role with our mood. Uh, thank you for teaching us a little bit about that. And just to sort of like um, a small comment to, to this topic as well is that, you know, we, we actually see how important this uh, nervous system in the gut is for very early on from when we are born, really. And like a lot of babies are actually suffering from this reflux because the nervous system is not really matured enough. Um, and not really used to dealing with food. So so when you have a baby that's uh, not able to keep in the milk, it's uh, usually this um, will not last too long because it's just that the nervous system and the gut that needs to to sort of like finish its development along with all the other amazing things that happens in a baby's gut, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the baby's microbiome, that collection of bacteria, begins the, the second that the baby is born from the vaginal microbiome that um, exists. So, yeah, it's an incredibly important stage of uh, digestive health. Yeah, why this is why it's important to uh, try to avoid cesarean sections unless it's absolutely necessary, right? 
um, we do benefit from 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 the birth in many ways. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. That's for sure. So um, now we spoke a little bit about this nervous system in the gut, but this is uh, leading me to the next question: to um, how is the brain and the gut actually connected, and how, how is this important when we are talking about uh, mood and and mental health? Great. So I love this question. So there really is this bio-directional link that exists between the central nervous system and the enteric nervous system, so the one that's in our gut. Now, this connection happens through a multitude of different ways. Um, and it's not just these two nervous systems that communicate. There's actually the immune system and the endocrine system that also sort of contribute and play and um, help stimulate and influence the way that our nervous system and our brain and mood operates. But one of my favorite things and favorite ways of um, sort of understanding how the brain and the gut talk to one another. And I know, Julie, I've spoken about this with you a few times and I always get very passionate about it, but it there is an incredible cranial nerve called the vagus nerve, which runs from our brain, sort of bypasses the diaphragm area into the digestive system and sort of spans on. And essentially what this vagus nerve acts like is a communication highway to allow messages from the enteric nervous system and from the microbiome to be sent to the brain and from brain signals to then be sent to the digestive system. And the vagus nerve is actually there to really actually, its role is to tell the brain how the organs in the body are operating. But interestingly, the microbiome, the, the collection of bacteria and yeast and fungi, of which we're going to talk about in a bit, actually have the ability to influence these messages that are sent. Um, and so, you know, the communication goes both ways. And, you know, sometimes you might feel butterflies in your stomach. You might lose your appetite if you're stressed or happy. You know, there are also, the, you know, I can feel it in my gut, that gut kind of feeling. Um, or, you know, oh, I can't stomach that. I don't feel like that in my stomach. That's all those nervous signals and your, and your stomach, your brain sending signals to your stomach and you feeling physical manifestations of that. But the messages go the other way. So when we have imbalance or dysbiosis that um, exists in the gut microbiota, What can happen is that signals are sent to the brain, which can then affect our mood, uh, potentially um, in certain situations, um, trigger development of mental health concerns. And the, the issue that we have here is that, okay, yeah, we feel those, those um, digestive symptoms, the butterflies, the loss of appetite, maybe having to go to the toilet more often than not. But we never sit there and go, oh, hold on, stop, I, actually... Yeah, I've I've been in a really bad mood for the past three months or I've got a foggy brain. And we don't go, mm, that's my digestive health. I need to go and look after my gut. Instead, we go, okay, I must be sick. I must be deficient in a nutrient. I must be tired. You know, I must have a, you know, illness. But the last thing that we tend to sort of think about is the gut. And actually, it's one of the first things that we really need to be focusing on when it comes to to, to supporting that connection that occurs. That's uh, so interesting. And I believe that pe um, the breath, people working with breath work are also working with the vagus nerve and 
using uh, the breath to um, kind of make uh, an activation of the parasympathetic nervous system, which again can help us relax and lower our blood pressure um, and uh, and the heart rate variability, make it uh, more into sort of like a resting state. So so it, it has a quite... Um, a lot of potential for um, sort of mind-body work, wouldn't you say so, Clarissa? 100%. There isn't a client that comes to see me with digestive um, concerns that I don't get them trying to incorporate meditation and breath work. And it's that expansion of the diaphragm when you deep breathe that helps massage and stimulate that vagus nerve, um, which can really help calm some of the excitatory uh, signals that might be occurring. Um, But, you know, on, on top of just that that one section that helps with our, you know, that links the gut and our mood, there are so many other things that um, the gut is involved with when modulating or thinking about mood and mental health. You know, I mentioned just before the, the microbiota, the, the collection of bacteria and yeast and fungi and even some pathogens and things in there um, that live in the gut. And these this collection of bacteria, certain different kinds of which there are many, certain strains, different kinds of bacteria actually produce certain neurotransmitters. And, you know, I'm, I feel like this, this has been said a hundred times, but, you know, I used to say 90% of serotonin is made in the gut. And now recently, they've actually said that 95% of serotonin, one of the hormones contributing to feelings of joy and happiness and well-being, is actually created in the gut, which is just unbelievable that 95% of that neurotransmitter that contributes to those feelings comes from the gut. So the first the first point that we should be thinking about with mood is really let's let's support that production of serotonin. But also, you know, they're producing uh, certain strains of bacteria producing GABA which is our inhibitory neurotransmitter that helps us feel calm and reduces anxiety. We have gut bacteria producing dopamine, which is our pleasure hormone. We've got the gut bacteria producing short-chain fatty acids, which I'll talk about later um, because they're really exciting. Um, And then we have 70% of the immune system located in the gut. And if we have levels of inflammation, which is an immune system response happening in the body, that puts us at an increased risk or can modulate or um, exacerbate certain um, mood mood concerns or or mental health concerns. So we always want to be trying to um, reduce inflammation when possible, unless it's an immune system response that's needed um, to help with our mental health. So lots and lots of links. Just to round it up, it's um, it's a very fine and highly intelligent interaction between our nervous system, central nervous system, our enteric nervous system, our gut microbiota secreting different hormones. So so we have like a, a, a very complicated system which we have only started uh, to really discover in the recent decades. Um, so there's a lot more to discover here, but but just um, uh, one thing that I that I want to come back to is like, um, what does this actually mean for our mood? Like, can um, de- like can sort of stress and anxiety originate from the gut, or like does the gut have an um, an effect uh, when it comes to, to 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 our mood directly? Sure. So it's kind of like the chicken and the egg question. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? 
there isn't conclusive evidence to suggest that one comes before the other does mood and mental health concerns that predominantly sort of begin to occur in the brain actually trigger changes in the gut microbiota or do changes in the gut microbiota affect mood um there isn't an exact yes or no answer and i think it's different for each and every person um and also on the mental health concern um but there is definitely a lot that we can do once we once we find that this situation is occurring there's a lot we can do to modulate that and to help uh, support people's natural mood mood so regardless of whether it uh, actually stems from the gut or the brain, it, the, the most important thing is to realize that there is this connection and you can't help support both gut he- health and mental health by uh, by sort of like doing certain exercises for mental health and relaxation, but also by eating well and supporting your gut microbiota. So I suppose that's that's the key takeaway until we know exactly how, if we will ever know exactly how the the correlation is between between the two. Um, and I suppose that's also the thing about um, looking holistically, like work working with holistic medicine, is that you know we do look at the whole uh, system and as as one and not necessarily as, as uh, separated systems, which we have traditionally done in in Western medicine. Yeah, for sure, which is why I chose to practice nutritional therapy and to study nutritional therapy, because it's very much looking at, you know, the different pillars of health. It's not just looking at the diet. It's looking at sleep. It's looking at mental health. It's looking at, um, you know, socioeconomic, environmental health, things like that. But then also looking at the root cause of things rather than just top level um, stuff. But you, you mentioned something, I would touch on something there quite interesting in that you know the evidence with gut health or the scientific literature that comes out is every day there's something new and exciting and fascinating and and so now we don't know yes or no we know what we could do to an extent um but you know one two three years time we might find some really cool stuff to say that actually yes it is the brain or no it's the gut or it's the heart or you know it could be anything so it's very very fascinating topic to to be albeit you have to do lots of reading all the time to stay on top of it but yeah it's it's so fascinating it's constantly evolving um yeah i agree very fascinating and perfect uh, topic for uh, the holistic medicine podcast as this is a very holistic topic but let's get back to um to talking about the gut uh the brain gut connection and so If we are looking at it from a more nutritional angle, um, how can we use nutrition to to improve our our gut health and thereby our mood? Like, what uh, what's your take on that, Clarissa? Okay, so there's lots of things we can do, but before I talk about that, I do want to say that if somebody has a pre-existing concern. So whether they have, you know, they may have protozoas or pathogens uh, in the digestive system. They might have um, different imbalances in different strains of bacteria. They may have inflammation. You know, they might have IBD, celiac disease, autoimmune concerns. Um, If there's anything like that already pre-existing, the first thing that we need to do is actually figure out what those things are and then target them through through nutritional therapy, antimicrobials, diet, stress management, all the rest of it. Um, 
there's a lot that we can do to look after the general gut. But if you have something like that going on, even if you introduce probiotics, probiotics, fiber, all these things, you're not actually getting to the root cause, which is why I use a lot of stool testing in my clinical practice, because if you don't target exactly what's going on, you could do more damage than good um, or just never get to the root cause. So that's just a caveat that you do if you've got proper, if anyone listening has got really bad digestive function, uh, get in touch. You need to run a stool test to make sure. But otherwise, when we're talking about, okay, here's a here's a community of bacteria that live in your gut. What can we do? for a sort of generally normal healthy person maybe they have a little bit of bloating or stuff whatever what can we do to support that bacteria balance and also growth and health um for me the easiest thing the first sort of line um to go for is fiber so you know the recommended daily intake in the uk of fiber is 30 grams per day last year I think it was last year they revealed that the average person in the UK consumes just 18 grams of fiber and so you know we do all need to be really mindful of making sure that we get in this fiber and the reason being is that among other health benefits such as cardiovascular and liver um, health uh, benefits of fiber fiber really helps support digestive health in that it helps digestive movement it helps feed a lot of our gut bacteria, so it can help with anyone who's got IBSC, so IBS constipation dominant. Um, but within fiber, it's not just like fibers created as a whole. There are lots of different kinds of fiber and different things that we can think about focusing on. And within that, um, there's prebiotic fibers. Now, prebiotic fibers are insoluble fibers. So what that means is they're quite hard to break down. We eat them, they pretty much stay intact as through the stomach and um, they make their way to the gut bacteria. Uh, bacteria. Now what happens is um, they kind of are semi not broken down and um, they, the gut bacteria, what they do is, it sounds awfully gross, but um, they eat these foods and they break them down and they produce lots of byproducts when they do this. The byproduct that they produce are these things called short chain fatty acids, which you may or may not have heard of. There are three major ones. So there's butyrate, acetate and propanate. And these short chain fatty acids have really incredible health benefits. Each and every one of them is different. So um, butyrate has been um, shown to actually be quite neuroprotective, so quite good for mood, whereas acetate's been um, quite good for uh, keeping pH balance in the gut and appetite suppression. Well, not, not so far that, you know, you don't want to eat at all, but for those people perhaps um, have dysregulation with their appetite and might lead to weight gain. Um, propanate is good for bringing down inflammation, which, as I mentioned previously, you know, inflammation really can impact our mood and mental health. And there's also lactate, which is sometimes forgotten about because it's not technically a short chain fatty acid, but it's a byproduct um, when we produce particularly carbohydrates that are full of fiber and again lactate has been shown to be quite um, neuroprotective so really beneficial for the brain so these wonderful byproducts are actually also uh, play a really incredible role in looking after our gut health but also then have further um, important parts to play uh, in our health so that's kind of with the fiber sort of elements of 30 grams of fiber a day and part of this 30 grams of fiber should really trying to be these prebiotic insoluble fibers. Then we have probiotics, which um, 
I think lots of people have heard of. Now, you can take probiotics as a supplement. You can take find live strains of bacteria in foods, um, which are often referred to as probiotics, although we have to be careful in the UK about saying the word probiotics um, in certain foods and things like that. There's a little bit of regulation, but I'll talk about foods and then I'll talk about supplements. So some of these foods that contain these live strains of bacteria are fermented. So you've got things like live yogurt, which is probably the most accessible and popular. So when you're buying yogurt, make sure you buy it live. It will have funny sounding names on the back, like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. You've then got things like kefir, which is fermented dairy, coconut or water drink, kombucha, which is fermented tea. You've got uh, sauerkraut and kimchi, which fermented vegetables, which I love throwing on salads and things like that. Um, and then some other ones are things like tempeh, which is a fermented soybean food, which I love um, as a good protein source. So those are some of your sort of foods that contain live bacteria that we're still hoping some more literature is going to come out about their effect to help um, bring balance to the digestive system. But either way, they're delicious. So um, eat them up about three times a week. So those are just sort of some of the main things that I get people thinking about in terms of introducing foods. There are lots, but those are the three big wins. But what I would say is that low and slow is so important. So eating fiber, eating probiotics foods or live strain foods, prebiotic foods, slowly, gradually increase them. Don't go away and buy a whole, you know, eat a whole raw onion and loads of kefir and, you know, loads of nuts and seeds and then expect that you're going to be totally fine because anyone even with a healthy digestive system is going to end up on the toilet and um, so to sort of manage your symptoms and to let your body adjust you want to be slowly um, introducing those uh, that would be my guidance on food and don't forget to hydrate hydration is so important for every aspect of health okay so just to round that up that was um prebiotics fibers probiotics which is um this fermented food uh, i particularly like the kimchi and the sauerkraut but maybe that's uh, from being sort of like scandinavian and close to germany where they have been doing this sauerkraut for you know hundreds of years um but um and then are there some foods that we should avoid uh like for example we i think there's been quite a lot in the media about how um like raw meat or sort of like processed meats will not be feeding the great bacteria and might cause sort of like even um, be associated with um, with colon cancer but like what what are your take what's what's your take on that hmm. yeah so I mean we should be trying to stay away from processed foods in general whenever possible every so often it's totally fine it's when it's an everyday occurrence that it becomes sort of a health concern or could have become a health concern um with these processed foods and things like that particularly processed meats you know they're full of nitrates they're full of added salts flavors you know you've got sort of all sorts of funny things you can't pronounce that are added into these foods um and additionally you know a lot of processed meats in particular are full of fats that are not particularly beneficial for all kinds of health but in particular um when it comes to the digestive system and then with other foods that you don't want to be eating regularly you know you've got things like sweeteners which have been shown to change the diversity in the gut um, microbiome and we really want diversity different kinds of strains of bacteria in there for health so I would avoid artificial sweeteners for the for your gut health in particular 
every so often again but remember things like chewing gum which some people will have three four five pieces of chewing gum a day contains artificial sweeteners so people are like oh I don't drink diet coke I don't add you know sweeteners into my tea but then they're having lots so that's really important um you know you do want to be mindful alcohol does affect um the digestive system can make people have symptoms can affect our ability to absorb nutrients it affects our sleep our weight our mood um and also being mindful of caffeine you know there's not that you know the evidence whether caffeine affects the diversity or not it's not really out there and actually coffee beans contain um lots of antioxidants which can be really good for the microbiome but coffee can be bad for symptoms for some people can trigger you know diarrhea um you know bloating things like that and sugar and you know i've i've mentioned quite a lot of the times inflammation affecting our mood we do want to be mindful of staying under the 30 grams of added sugar which the nhs in the uk suggests um you know sugar is is not going to be the most beneficial for supporting gut health and um supporting inflammation levels yeah i i have to see, say that i agree with you uh, on that and and also when it comes to sort of like sustaining a good mental health um those uh, quick rises in blood sugar are, are really bad because they will sort of make us um tend to have mood swings and like go from one extreme like feeling really energized and really excited to 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 another and with all things you kind of want to have more stability because um of course you can go for that quick fix which is a the sugar uh, bar or like even those kind of you know muesli bars they're usually quite full of sugar but but it will be a quick fix and then after you'll have to to pay and you might feel even more tired afterwards um also just to mention i i, I said alcohol but there there has been recently an interesting study that came out that suggested that actually red wine can be quite good for the gut microbiome um and actually some of the antioxidants found in red wine and grapes and things like that can actually help support the bacteria that live in your gut so not saying go and drink a bottle of red wine every night but um having a little bit of red wine can actually do um wonders um and um and i do believe that uh, researchers uh, previously like probably about a decade ago also discovered that there are certain um uh, compounds in red wine which is also good for um our blood vessels and makes them relax so so um it, it might seem that uh, a glass of red wine once in a while can actually support both gut health and cardiovascular health so um that's one to to remember if you if you do like a good glass of wine Yeah. So um, let's come back to talking a little bit about uh, mood. And there are certain sort of like mood disorders like depression and anxiety um, and um, and stress as well. Um, would you say that the food can help um, with these symptoms of depression, anxiety and stress? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things in in that sort of question but um I do think you know and you touched on sugar uh, sending you on an energy roller coaster before I think you know these diets particularly western diets that are high in, in white refined carbohydrates and sugars and you know not the best kinds of fats and quite low in fiber and colors of the rainbow vegetables um what can happen is they can send you know call 
we can be left with nutritional deficiencies, which can affect our adrenal glands, which make our stress hormones, can affect our gut health, um, inflammation levels. But also, you know, being on this, this blood sugar roller coaster all day from this kind of diet can leave you with energy highs and lows, which can be, you know, can trigger anxiety, aggression, uh, low energy, fatigue for a lot of people. So in the short run, you know, just those simple dietary changes can make, you know, everyday life a lot easier. But that being said, if you have a mental health concern, whether it is, you know, panic disorder, depression, schizophrenia, anxiety, whatever it might be, um, you know, you have to work alongside a, whether you want to go and see a psychotherapist or your GP with nutrition and dietary interventions. Um, because I would always target it as a two or three tonged approach rather than just nutrition alone when it comes to a proper mental health concern. But there are so many things you can do. And one of the well, two really important nutrients that we should be getting in from our diet for um, cognitive health and for, for mood is omega-3 and vitamin D. So, um, you know, omega-3 coming from oily fish like salmon and mackerel or chia seeds and walnuts and vitamin D, which you can get in dairy foods, eggs, mushrooms or uh, from the sunshine. Uh, it's currently August at the moment, so we've got a bit of it here in the UK for once. But um, those those things are very important for, for all of those conditions that you just mentioned. And for me, they are the top two uh, low hanging fruit that you have to fix um, or make sure that you're nailing with clients. I think that's a good piece of advice. And I would say, I think that most studies have confirmed that in the sort of like Nordic hemisphere and uh, in many parts of Europe, we're just not exposed enough to to, to sunlight to generate the, the vitamin D3 that we need. So um, I I actually advise all clients um, to, to take vitamin D supplements. It's like the the actually the one supplement that I would say that that you should take um, at least from September October on and until until April um yeah um I suppose would you also recommend like um sort of a b-complex vitamin b12 to make sure to get that um for for brain health or um does that depend on the diet that you're on Yeah, I think that does depend depend on your diet. You know, if you're plant-based vegan vegetarian, B12 is something to be mindful of because you get them you get it from animal foods and it is really important for energy metabolism and immune system function. But what's really quite cool is that certain gut bacterial strains actually produce our B vitamins and produce vitamin K which helps with blood clotting. So the bacteria do a good job in trying to help, but yeah. Um that's a side note, but yeah, with B12, um I do get clients who are following restrictive diets or at risk of anemia to consider supplementing but it's case dependent whereas with vitamin d you like you know if between those months as you just mentioned for me it's a non-negotiable low dosage uh between the months of october to april unless you've got high levels already exactly yeah well good piece of advice um so i think that We've round, we have really sort of talked about a lot of interesting topics here regarding uh, gut health and mood and how they're interconnected and how um, we can use food to at least support a healthy, balanced mental health. Um, and especially here, you were talking about colorful vegetables, fibers, um, Uh, especially also maybe leaving out those things that we know can cause um, like inflammation, um, so sugar and uh, processed foods. Um, so so th those were some of the key takeaways. Um, 
Then I would like to uh, to end the uh, podcast with a question which has um, gotten a lot of attention over the last years, and this is the topic of intermittent fasting, um, because uh, you, th there's certainly a lot more evidence than there was uh, even a few years back. Um, and it seems like it might be able to help people reduce inflammation, uh, lower blood sugar and insulin levels. And, and so um, how what's actually the deal with this intermittent fasting? And, and ca can it help support gut health and mood? And, and, and how should we do it? <laughs> It's a great, great question. And um, first up, with all these dietary principles, whether it's keto, paleo, intermittent fasting, vegan, plant-based, everybody is entirely individual and unique and everyone's microbiome is entirely individual and unique. So just taking it with a pinch of salt and being mindful that what works for an influencer on whoever's on the front of your favorite newspaper or website or your neighbor, your best friend, doesn't always mean it's going to work for you. So That's just a caveat, it, but with intermittent fasting, it uh, definitely has gained popularity. So there are different kinds of intermittent fasting. You can do one day on, one day off, so 24 hours with only water or you know herbal teas. You can do um, time-restricted eating, which is, has gained popularity. So that's um, uh, sort of 16 hours without eating and then eating in an eight-hour window. You've also got the 5-2 diet, which was popular about five, seven years 10 maybe years ago, um, which is five days of eating normally, two days of calorie restriction. Now, in terms of the, the scientific literature that's out there with intermittent fasting, we're still waiting for human trials to properly come out. We The majority of the studies are rat-based. However, there are some sort of smaller-based uh, human trials and, and studies coming out, which is really exciting because the stuff that we are seeing coming from the, the rat-based studies is, is uh, positive and, and exciting. So um, as you mentioned before, you know, um, intermittent fasting is being shown to help improve insulin sensitivity and, you know, move away from um, being insulin resistant, so helping support that hormone that helps balance our blood sugar levels. And um, it has been shown to help sort of reduce appetite. And um, when it comes to, and also, sorry, and clear, and um, it's also been shown to sort of help clear out dead cells or um, sort of recalibrate cellular health, which is uh, very, very exciting, particularly when it comes to sort of things like longevity, um, which I don't have time to go into today, but it's really fascinating. Now, when it comes to gut health, what is really great is that taking an extended period of time where your digestive system isn't under pressure anymore from intaking food can be fantastic for helping the digestive system fully clear out. It takes hours for your digestive system to break things down, clear out. And um This, if you're doing the 16-8, that 16 hours can be fantastic for really helping the digestive system sort of fully reset itself. And to be honest, with most clients, I get them doing a 12-hour fast or trying to overnight and then trying to get them to think about doing a four-hour fast, uh, sorry, four-hour gap between meals, so not snacking or grazing constantly, to allow your digestive system to fully do its job instead of putting pressure on it constantly all the time of grazing and snacking and eating little things. But we do need to be mindful that if you are pre-diabetic, if you have diabetes, if you're pregnant, breastfeeding, you know, trying to conceive, or you have very high stress levels, it might not be right for you. Um, I have seen people come to see me in my private practice who have been doing intermittent fasting, who have 
who you know work in very high stress pressure pressure jobs and they find that it is really triggered uh mood mood changes so they can be very paranoid or anxious they might get dizzy lightheaded um so it's not for everyone however you know, there are some really interesting, exciting developments. So yeah, as I mentioned, I start with a 12 hour fast. If people want to go up to 14 or 16 hours, then um, I ask them to do it gradually and slowly and really try to be intuitive and listen to how their body reacts, how their body feels. Um, And you can have water or tea, herbal tea or coffee, just black um, in that sort of 16 hours, but it's definitely 16, eight. um, So it works with your circadian rhythm so that you're fasting mostly when you're sleeping. And I, I would say that um, the 12 hours is very, it's quite easy for most people to, to achieve. Um, then uh, adding two more extra hours to, to, to 14. And, and then if you want to reach the, the 16 hours, uh, it, it usually means that you want to skip either breakfast and just have coffee, tea or juice, uh, or, or you're having like um, a, a very, uh, very early dinner. Um, but uh, for most people, it's worth experimenting with and just see what it does to energy levels and mood. As you say, Clarissa, of course, um, it, this needs to be based on your personality type and constitution, of course. Um, but uh, great. That was uh, really exciting to hear your take on uh, on that. Um, do, do you have any more other comments that you would like to, to, to sort of uh, tie to the intermittent fasting um, before we round this up? Yeah, I think also being mindful that you, you know, don't fast for 16 hours and think in the eight hour gap that you can eat whatever you want and that it's going to work. You still need to eat a well balanced diet in the eight hours that you are eating, making sure that you're eating lots of colors and um, diversity of the rainbow, lots of fiber, um, protein, good quality fats, hydrating. Um, You know, you, you can't just eat burgers and chips and think that that that's the solution um, because it isn't. And really, you know, the one of the best dietary principles out there really is trying to focus on eating a Mediterranean diet whenever you possibly can. And, you know, according to your, to what you can afford and how much time you've got to cook and things like that. But, um, there are, it's interesting clinical research out there that actually suggests that, um, those who follow the Mediterranean diet actually, um, they did a study on those people who have depression and they they got people following a Mediterranean diet or didn't. And actually, they had um, more remission in their depressive feelings and symptoms than those who didn't follow the Mediterranean diet. So, um, you know, eating olive oil, colors of the rainbow, omega-3 fish, um, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, things like that. That's the, one of the best things you can do for every part of health, including gut health. Yeah, and uh, and of course now we're talking about mood and gut health, and omega three is really one of the most important um, sources of uh, of our sort of like uh, fats in the body to build um, all the building blocks of our eyes and the brain and um, and many of the fat soluble hormones. So it's actually been shown that taking um, uh, having a diet which is high in omega three can actually as well help decrease. Um, symptoms of depression so so that's a i think that's a good um one to um to uh, underline as well um but uh, wow i thought this was a fantastic uh, so interesting to to hear you explain about um this uh, brain gut connection and how we can uh, use nutrition um food and 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 uh, and gut health to support our our mental health 
Um, it's been amazing to have you uh, on the show, Clarissa. Um, we had a few technical problems, but I think it and it, it turned out all right at the end. Um, uh, thank you so much uh, for for helping people um, gaining like better health with nutrition and and also for being a, a great advocate about uh, gut health. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a real pleasure um, to be on the podcast and to see your face again and um, to, you know, uh, collaborate once again with you. It's always fantastic. And uh, yeah, I hope to do more future sessions with you and podcasts. For sure. And Clarissa, I also just want to say for anyone who's interested in in, uh, in sort of like booking a, a consultation, you do uh, you do have an office in London, but you also do online consultations. Uh, so so um that is definitely worth trying it, especially if you have like a particular problem of course we've been talking about the overall signs of gut health but as clarissa has mentioned and underlined it's very very personalized like medicine medicine should always be and especially with nutrition and gut health um it can it can be worth like seeing um a certified nutritionist to to get um some kind of advice which is um, only for you so I can highly recommend that thank you so much thank you Clarissa and um, speak to you soon take care thank you take care thanks for having me